0: Let's open our Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. I'm going to deal with the first two faithful stewards. Um, we left off in verse 19. It deals with um, another servant that the Lord entrusted a Amina to. I'll explain what a Amina is. Um, but he was obviously one who maybe was a believer in name. Christian by name, um, but did not have that personal relationship with the Lord. So let's go back where Paul read for us earlier, Luke 19, picking up in verse 11. Now as I heard these things, he spoke another parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and because they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. I'll stop right there in verse one. Um, This will be the Lord's final trip to Jerusalem. He had been trying to explain to them what was going to happen once he gets there. And as far as I can tell, the only one who really understood was uh, Mary, uh, whose sister was Martha, whose brother was Lazarus. She was the one who anointed uh, the Lord Uh, with a fragrant burial bomb, um, incense, because she was always sitting at the feet of the Lord and listening. And whenever the Lord would clearly tell them that he was going to Jerusalem, he would be betrayed, uh, he would be rejected, he would be beaten, he would die, he would rise again the third day, they just did not get it. Why? Because they weren't listening. Um, It's not that everybody doesn't have an opportunity to hear the word of God. The Lord even told a parable about it, about the man who built his house on a rock and the man who built his house on sand. They both heard the word of God. But one, the wise man, built his life on that foundation. He wasn't exempt from the other guy because they both went through terrible storms in life. But the one who was wise, who heard the word, and stood upon it, and had faith and trusted God during the storm, well, his house stood. The foolish man, well, he heard the word, but the same storms came, and because he did not stand on a foundation of stone, but of sand, he was washed away. I would liken this last man here, from verses 20 to 27, as that sort of an individual who hears the word of God, but does not have that born-again relationship with the Lord. Like the disciples, didn't clearly understand what the Lord was saying. So, verse 11, Jesus is now approaching Jerusalem. Many of his followers, including his apostles, think he was about to set up his kingdom on earth. But he's coming to Jerusalem to die. Uh, He is showing them that the kingdom is going to be postponed. Uh, the rabbis really struggled with this. They could not rationalize how in Isaiah 53 there'd be a suffering servant and one who would bring in an everlasting kingdom. That was promised to David. They could not reconcile the two. Neither could the disciples for that matter. So in verse 11, it clearly tells us uh, they thought the kingdom of God would appear immediately. Verse 12 Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then to return. Now, the parable, the certain nobleman here represents the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, He will receive the kingdom from his father, not from us. He's not asking us or anyone to to vote for him the next time he comes around. People will either receive him or they will be uh, destroyed at his second coming for not receiving him. He came the first time, as Zechariah tells us, lowly, humble, on a fold of a colt, as a servant, to serve, to lay down his life. He said, greater love is no man than this, that a man would actually lay down his life for a friend, and that's what he did. Um, And the second time he will come, this time with sword drawn out of his mouth as king of kings and lord of lords, that's when he'll set up his kingdom. What we have in between that is a gap of 2,000 years since he was here the first time, and then that 1,000-year millennial kingdom When he comes back, uh, the second time he will set up that kingdom. Well, this is what the disciples were expecting. So now he's explaining it to them in parable form. He's saying, I'm the one who's going away. And um, to receive the kingdom. So in verse 13, he called ten of his servants. Here's where we come in uh, to the parable. Delivered to them ten minus and said to them, do business until I come. I'm reading from the New King James. If you happen to be reading from the King James version this morning, it will say, occupy till I come. I've entitled the morning's message, do business till I come. I could have just as easily said, occupy till I come. Um, I think occupy actually is a better translation in this case Occupy in the Greek is a word we derive pragmatic from, and it only appears in one other place in the New Testament. And I'm going to have you turn there this morning to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and show you the only other place that occurs. I find it very interesting in the light that the main point of this parable is is to whatever gift the Lord has given you, given me, that we use it. So as you turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's look at the first five verses. Paul, the elder, is speaking to his um, young disciple, Timothy. And in verse 1, he calls him his son. So Paul says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, now commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with The affairs of this life. The word affair is the same Greek word for occupy that we have in the parable. And so we find this is the only other place that it occurs. Basically what it means, touch this world lightly. Um, Don't take it too seriously. Are we not pilgrims and strangers just passing through? Good place for an amen. Gang, I need to be reminded of that daily. You be reminded of that daily because we have so many things that can occupy our time. That we major on the minors minor on the majors. What's really important is what Paul says here. This Greek word, don't get entangled. Don't let it preoccupy and prioritize your time. Of this life, why? That he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier and also if anyone competes in athletics he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The main point of this parable is the judgment seat of Christ. The talents that have been given to you and me and that we make sure that we are engaged and actively using them. So um, let's go back to our parable. It's called the parable of the mina. Plural is minas. It's a measurement of of money, one talent equals 60 minas or 3,000 shekels. Uh, A mina weighs approximately Um, 1.25 pounds, pound and a quarter. Um, The shekel was the most common standard used among the Hebrew people for both weight and value. The term meant simply weight. In New Testament times, a shekel was a silver coin weighing one shekel. The mina equals 50 shekels. So the idea here, in parable form, the Lord is saying, I'm giving you this much, and I want you to do business with it, because what I'm going to return, I'm going to ask what you did with the resources that I gave to you. So let's take it from there and read verse 13, so he called 10 of his servants and delivered to them 10 minus and said to them, do business or occupy till I come. In other words, while Jesus is away, he's given each of us a gift. He has given every one of his servants an opportunity and that opportunity is the mina, or the pound, or your gift. You are to be faithful to that over which he has made you a steward. Your gift may be an entire city, maybe a handful of people, maybe just your own family, your home. Whatever it is, what the Lord is saying here is I want you to be faithful with it. Whatever gift you have, just be a faithful steward over it. Now in verse fourteen, it sort of jumps ahead and explains those who don't don't want to hear what we're talking about this morning. So we're sort of uh, interjecting something here. Uh, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, "We will not have this man to reign over us. Not have this man." Um, This pronouncement represents the basic attitude of all those who reject Jesus in this age between his first and second coming. But the whole of the parable is really about gifts being given, different gifts, but acknowledging at the same time that there will be those who completely reject the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he's saying, um, they're saying, we will not have you, Reign over us. Let's be honest here. A lot of people probably would be persuaded that Jesus really is the Messiah. But then, remember the Bible says count the cost? I think internally a lot of people do count the cost. What happens if I do give my life to Jesus? I know what Christians are all about, I know enough of them. And if I do that, that means my life is going to have to change. And I don't know if I want anybody calling the shots in my life except moi, (laughs) moi and moi only. Okay, let me say amen to that and we know it's true. They've thought it through. They realized if Jesus is gonna be Lord of my life then my Bible says I have to acknowledge him in everything that I do. Well, some people are going to say, I don't want to acknowledge God in everything that I do, because if I do, there's going to be some things that he is not going to be in agreement with. Therefore, whether they openly admit it or don't, uh, they're counting the cost, and verse 14 is simply saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. Dylan's got a line, great line in his saved album. He's got plans of his own to set up his throne. And uh, we have, many of us have plans of our own to set up our throne. But in the big picture of things, can you imagine how secondary the things of this world are to art and Michael this morning? Do you think they care about any material thing? Nope, not at all. The former things are past. And now, only those things that were done in the Lord will remain. And um, two in one Sunday, that, that, that's, a, uh, that's hard on a fellowship, on a family. And so we need to hold them up, especially in prayer. Don't overwhelm them right now with phone calls and all. Give the family some time to uh, regroup and stuff like that. Uh, we'll have our time with them. Don't want to get too sidetracked there. Let's pick it up, verse 15 through 19. And so it was that when he returned having received the kingdom. All right, now the Lord comes back. He then commanded these servants to whom he had given the money, so he called to him that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Do business till I come. The business is, of course, the gospel. Then came the first saying, Master, your mina has earned 10 more. And he said, well done, good servant because you are faithful in very little, have authority over 10 cities. And the second came, saying, Master, your mina has gained five minas. Likewise, he said to them, you will also be over five cities. Are, these are those who used their gifts that the Lord had given to them by sending the Holy Spirit upon them when you're born again So we can be witnesses of the gospel. And what's necessary at the little rabbit trail here is to realize, I I was honest with myself. When I heard the gospel, I said, come on, Dwight, let's be honest with who you are. (laughs) And you know you're not like that. And so why pretend and why play games? You're just not the Christian type. And um, naively, people would pull would pull me over his and say, Dwight, you don't understand. You don't have anything to do with it. You can't do anything unless Jesus is doing it through you. If you're taking notes, John fifteen five, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do some things. <laughs> no, 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 nothing. Yet, flip it around, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God has given you gifts. You can't do anything unless he does it through you. Another good place for an amen. This is vital for the Christian walk. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Of course, at the day of Pentecost, When the Holy Spirit was given, we'll come back to that. The Corinthian church was immature, had more problems than any other church in the New Testament, and yet the Lord explains to them the gifts of the Holy Spirit more than any of the other churches. Uh, 12, 13, and 14 are the definitive chapters that actually deal with the use of the gifts and abuse of the gifts, in 12, 13, and 14. Um, I don't have time, of course, to go through that, but I would like to um, talk about these gifts that the Lord is talking about in this parable. So if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, let's read verses 1 through 11. Now, consp- now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant you know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols however you were led. Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of God calls Jesus accursed and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Then he begins to explain. We have one Holy Spirit. Let's read this twice. Um, verse 11. This, these gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit, as he wills. I want to read that twice. So what we're learning is there's different gifts, one Holy Spirit, and he decides who gets what. Let's pick it up in verse four. Now there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all, but the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one for, this is important, the prophet of all, now I want to mention this twice too, the gift that God has given you, except for the gift of tongues, was given so that you would exercise that gift to build someone else up, and I'll come to another scripture that will back that up in just a second, For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gift of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kind of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works All these things, distributing, just like the Lord said in the parable, he distributed the minas to them. Some got more than less in their investments. Distributing to each one individually as he wills. So what we're learning here is, um, go to verse 18. Again, I'd like to read the whole chapter, but time won't let me do that. We should never cop the attitude that one person's gift is more important than the other. Chapter 12 makes it really clear uh, about the body of Christ and how we're to work together. Um, In verse 18 through um, 21 it says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, well, where would the body be? In other words, if we all had the same gift, that's not much of a body. Can you imagine a body with just an arm hanging out? <laughs> but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't have any need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. So the, the idea that uh, Paul is making here is the necessity that there's different gifts given, but they're all, one can't say to the other, I'm more important to you, then a body can say, well, look, my nose is more important than my hand. No, 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 I need my nose and I need my hands. And we understand that, and that's the exact analogy that Paul is using here. And then he goes on, uh, the purpose of the gift, uh, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 12. They were misusing the gifts, They were out of order in church, especially when it came to the area of tongues. Um, He addresses that issue in verse 4. Let's look at verse 12, first of all. All right, keep in mind, Jesus the parable of the mina, and we're talking about spiritual gifts, doing business, and exercising these gifts. But our motive now has to be, we have to really understand that it's not about us, but God working through us, that somebody else is built up. So here we are in verse 12. Even so, you are zealous for spiritual gifts. Let me just stop there and say, I hope you are. In Luke 11, when Jesus explained a person, some people say, well, how do I get the Holy Spirit? And the answer is the same way you received Jesus, by asking. But in Luke 11, he puts it in the context of a father feeding his son. The son is hungry. He said, Dad, I'm hungry. He says, is he gonna give him a serpent? He says, of course not, he's gonna feed him. And he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your son, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask for it? But I like the context, because the context is, I really want it. The context is, do you know that you can't do it and do you really want these gifts with the implication being, Do I am I concerned enough about my fellow man to use my gift to build him up? I'm thinking of Cade and Abel right now. Am I my brother's keeper? What's the answer to that question? Well, yes, you are. <laughs> and so... Um, are zealous for spiritual gift, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Servants have to have a servant mentality where it says we are to esteem one another higher than ourselves. Now here's what we going to have going against us. It says in the last days people will be lovers of themselves, okay? Me first, you second. And so that's the mentality. And the farther we go down this uh, crazy world that we're living in, that seems to be more and more the mentality. Well, the, the Bible's the flip side of that. It's that the other person we esteem highly, and we really want to see them um, excel. So the purpose of the gift is to edify. Um, turn with me to the book of Ephesians We've spoken often of this. Many people think that um, um, for some reason only those that are called to sub ministry, a pastor or maybe Sam with Wycliffe or Bastia down in Haiti, these people are the really ones doing ministry. Well, that's not true at all. And Ephesians four makes that very, very clear. Now, I happen to be a pastor. And I believe that every pastor should have the gift of teaching. So we read here in verse so let's pick it up verse 10. It says, "He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things." So now we're talking about sending the Holy Spirit back with these gifts. And he himself, when he sent the Holy Spirit, gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we're here this morning to um, be taking in God's word, simply sitting down like Mary, and for the purpose that we'll glean and be edified and till, verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Now, verse 14, if you are rooted and grounded, is everybody with the the Christianese that I just used? Rooted and grounded, what does that mean? It means you know your Bible well. So if by teaching chapter by chapter and verse by verse, we get the way it's supposed to be, the results of that will be, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness by which they lie in wait to deceive. Uh, we're going to be showing a, a video clip of Wide is the Gate, uh, part two. If you want to hang around for the first 16 minutes of the second service, you'll see it. It's with Warren Smith, Carol Matriciani, and um, Chris Quintana, and some other of our friends who basically go out and call out the ones that are doing just that. And it's very informative. And um, you can also get it. This is something that you can purchase for yourself. Wide is the gate to carols with the Lord now. But um, I highly recommend that, that you get a, get a hold of it, that. Uh, verse 15, how do we do this? In an arrogant, puffed-up way? No by speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, even Christ, for whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causing growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So this now is mandating um, the actual foundation of ministry. One part is, well, what's the latest thing that's happening? Churches with fingers up in the air, which way is the wind blowing now? And um, I watched it blow through the valley several years ago. In my 40 years here, I've seen it, many different winds of doctrine coming and going. And um, one, of the, one of the last ones that I saw I thought it destroyed a church. Um, They heard that the Holy Spirit was moving in Brownsville, Florida. And um, so the local pastor took his whole staff down there and went down there to catch the fire and bring it back and had revival. And I was hearing every day, come to this revival. Well, it wasn't a revival. It was more like an exodus, (laughs) Because the founding pastor had laid a very solid foundation. But the new pastor wanted to do the latest thing. And I watched uh, a healthy church become an unhealthy church. I'll just leave that with that. The foundation of the first century church hasn't changed in 2,000 years. It's the foundation of who we are. If you're visiting and don't know who we are, turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit was given as promised in Ephesians 4, 3,000 people believed and were saved and we have the foundation of the church. What did they do? Well, we read in verse 42 after Peter had preached this message and 3,000 were saved, verse 42 says, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. Gang, there's four things going on here. We have Bible study, we have fellowship, we have communion, and we have prayer. And um, that is the foundation of the church What is the result if we'll do that, not change from that? Well, let's read on. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily, with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness, notice, and simplicity, something lost, An old Quaker song. It's a gift to be simple. It's a gift to be free. It's a gift to be where we ought to be. And it's becoming more complicated, but it was never meant to be. Jesus said, come and learn of me. I'm lowly and, and meek in heart and spirit, and you'll find rest for your soul. My yoke is hard. No, 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 no. His yoke is easy. We make it hard. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. These four things are doable from the time they accept Christ until he takes you home. And whenever I teach on this, I look at Don and say, that's doable. I can do that. And it's not going to burn anybody out. And if they make that their custom, what's going to happen? Well, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. It wasn't a man's program. And that's what the video clip was all about, the programs that are out there today to manipulate, to toss to and fro. Um, we read in Psalm one twenty seven verse one for taking notes unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Who was building the house here? Verse forty seven. And the Lord added to the church. Well, what were they doing? Oh, they're having Bible studies. They fellowshiped a lot. Uh, They had prayer meetings. And they kept the main thing the main thing, and that was the cross. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Communion. Don't ever forget the main thing, the gospel. So, um, to Zerubbabel, the, the Lord said his work is like this. The word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, It's not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. This was Pastor Chuck's favorite verse, and he quoted it all the time. Let me give you a couple Chuckisms this morning. Want to hear a couple Chuckisms? One of them is healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. If you're healthy, spiritually speaking, uh, that will rub off. Healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. And another one of his favorites was Spirit-Led, Not Purpose-Driven. Now, if that sounds like a dig on Rick Warren's book, The Purpose-Driven Life in a Purpose-Driven Church, you got it right. <laughs> I, know, I, I, know, I know Chuck well until he went to be with the Lord. And I know he was greatly offended and put out the night that he was replaced at a Harvest Crusade with Rick Warren during the opening prayer when he was supposed to. I'm I'm telling personal stuff here, but we're sorta, I'm sorta giving you a little taste of what the guys are talking about in that 16 minute video clip. We are not a purpose-driven church. Good place for a day, man, I hope. No, 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 we really believe the Holy Spirit is alive and well. And the building of the church is the Lord's work as he gives you gifts so that the Holy Spirit can work. Through you. And it's very, very biblical. So uh, there's a couple of uh, chuck The parable of the mina is a parable of the judgment seat of Christ. It's actually um, as we are faithful in what? Little things now. Well, the, the idea of this is the Lord is saying, okay, you spent your time here. I entrusted you with this. Now I'm coming back to see what you've done with it. My friends, that's going to happen. And we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. What is that? Well, it's actually called the Bema judgment. The Greek word for uh, Bema, translated judgment seat in the King James, was a familiar term to the people of Paul's day. Dr. Lehman Strauss writes, in the large Olympic arenas, there was an elevated seat on which the judge of the contest sat. Now, after the contest was over, the successful competitors would assemble before the Bima to receive their rewards or crowns. The Bima was not a judicial branch where someone was condemned. It was a reward seat. Likewise, the judgment seat of Christ is not a judicial bench. The Christian life is a race and the divine umpire is watching every contestant. After the church has run her course, he will gather every member before the Bema for the purpose of examining each one and giving the proper reward to each. Turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 14. Romans 14, and looking at verses 10 and 12. Verse 10 tells us, But why do you judge your brother? Or why do you show contempt for your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue will confess to God. So then... Each of us shall give an account of himself to God. And it goes on um, to say, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather resolve this, not to put a stumbling block or cause to fall or a a brother to stumble. Why? Because every person here, without exception, is going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, let me clarify when I use the word judgment here. I am not to judge you for something that you're doing for the Lord. Why? Because I don't know the motive of your heart. <laughs> I can't look inside your heart, oh, you're doing this for this reason. No, I'm making uh, that it's not, I don't have the capacity to do that and you don't have the capacity to do that for me. Good place for an amen. And yet it says, the spiritual man judges all things. And now we're told to judge. Do you see the distinction between the two? We are to judge. Most of the New Testament is the apostle Paul correcting false doctrine. Full blown by the time you get to the seven letters of the seven churches where they've gotten off doctrinally. So now we're told not to judge a motive why a brother would do something. But now when it comes to doctrine not what you're adding to or taking away from this book. Then we are to judge. And we say, basically, brother, sister, what you're teaching does not line up with what the book is saying. And again, that's what, um, again, White as a Gate is primarily all about. Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter three to the judgment seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians 3, First Corinthians three, picking it up in verse five, I guess is a good place to start. Who then is Paul, or who is Apollo's? In other words, there were people who were saying, "Well, I'm of Paul or "I'm of Apollos." In other words say, "Well, I'm a follower of Jesus," And they were holding up men instead of the Lord. What about ministers through whom you believed? And the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, brethren, he who plants is anything, nor is he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own, what does it say? Reward according to his own labor. Back to the parable of the Bina. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, a wise master builder, I laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he's going to build. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. But if anyone builds on this foundation with gold or silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Well, what is that fire? Well, it's going back what I talked about earlier. The only one, who knows the motive of my heart, the only one who knows the motive of your heart, why you do what you do, is the Lord himself. Well, that day's coming. And he said, well, you, you did a lot of good things, but you said you were you're really doing them, the Lord's gonna explain, because it was for self-glorification, or wanting the glory, or wanting the attention, or whatever. So that's what the fiery, uh, all-knowing eyes of the Lord are. But notice verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. So the Lord is great at bookkeeping. And he doesn't miss a trick of uh, anything that, that you might do. He says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as those through fire. Nobody in this um, group here, the judgment seat of Christ, has anything to do with their salvation, but everything to do with what the Lord is giving you, and he's going to say, what did you do with it? Did you occupy? Were you doing business? And some will say, yep, I did, got five more. Yep, God got. I did, got 10 more. And yet there will be those, it says, uh, that if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. What is that saying? that means there's going to be people in heaven who absolutely have no treasure. Zip, nada, none. And I can only mention one for sure. You know who it is? The thief on the cross. He didn't have time to say the sinner's prayer. He didn't have time to do any good works. He wasn't baptized, but he was saved. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Uh, Is he in heaven? Yeah. You think he's happy? Oh, I'm sure he's... Very, very happy. Um, But will he have any treasure? No, not nothing. Why? I call this a deathbed conversion. And some people will live their whole life and blow the Lord off their whole life. Uh, But it's the old old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. And they say, I can't mess around with God anymore. So I'm gonna make it right with God right here, right now. So he gives his life to the Lord. And then he gets killed in a foxhole. How much treasure that he has in heaven? None. Did he make it to heaven? Yeah. So we read here, um, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet as though through fire. Reward on the day of judgment. Here's just some of the things um, that will be judged on. Um, For taking notes here, uh, we will be judged on how we employ our God-given abilities. I'm going to quote to you Second Timothy. Eh, better yet, let's go to Second Timothy. I got a little bit extra time because we skipped that video, so hold on. Second Timothy one oh, six. I hope I got my notes down. All right, verse 6, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God. So we need, um, t- that was a good way of saying, it. get a good shaking every once in a while. <laughs> we get entangled in the world, and we go to a Bible study or a prayer meeting, and we get shook up. And we go, oh, yeah, it's not, it's not about that. We call that stirring up the gift. The gift is still there. Uh, the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That's what it said. He's not going to take it away from you but it doesn't mean it doesn't need to be stirred up from time to time. Another good place for an amen. So it tells us here, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me and his uh, uh, prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. So also, if you're taking notes, we have in 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts. We've read this already. Ready, The same spirit, but all these work that one and the self-same spirit is divided to every man as the Holy Spirit wills. If you're taking notes, No, better yet, I want you to see this one too. Go to 1 Peter chapter four. 1 Peter four, and we'll look at verses seven through 11 here. 1 Peter four. Verse seven says, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all, These things have fervent love for one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Notice verse 10, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So here it tells us, you have a gift, use it as as a good steward, You've been entrusted with that gift. Number two, what will be judged for and given an account of is the context of the parable is money. It's a a minus, a mina. And um, basically, if you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, how we use our money. We very seldom talk about money around here unless it's part of a Bible study, and this morning it happens to be. Second um, Corinthians chapter 9 uh, verse 6 uh, deals with what we do with our money. Uh, verse 6 says, but, but I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly, not a, of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. The word there is actually a hilarious giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you having all sufficiency in all things have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness remains forever and on the same subject of money if you're taking notes I won't have you turn to this one this is first Corinthians um, I mean first Timothy chapter six, seventeen, and 18 um, concerning those that have uh, money and are rich that they do good that they be rich in good works ready to distribute, willing to communicate, and then notice what it says, laying up in store for themselves. The old saying is you can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead. Everybody with me on that one? You can not take it with you, but you can send it. How? By investing in those things that are eternal. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's talking to those who are rich, actually to warn them uh, that they... Um, because they're laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. What's another thing that will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat? How we deal with persecution. I'm quoting from Matthew 5, verse 11 and 12. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What does he say? Rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. So how you handle the persecution, turning the other cheek when you want to smack the guy out. (laughs) And you do turn the other cheek. Well, the Lord saw that. And right here it says great is your reward in heaven on how you deal with those that are persecuting you. And probably the most important reason the Holy Spirit has been given to us, turn to Acts chapter one. This is the Lord's, some of his final words. He's telling the disciples, the Holy Spirit has not yet been sent. At the end of verse four, he's telling the disciples, I want you guys to wait. I don't want you to do anything. Just wait for right now. Verse four, wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me. Uh, Verse six, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, when will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. But you will receive power. The word there is dunamos where we get the word dynamite from, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, here's the gifts, for what purpose? Well, you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and Judea, Samaria, Papua New Guinea, (laughs) and to the ends of the earth. But he said, don't go until you got the gift, the empowering to do the work. Acts eight says just that. You'll receive power. For what purpose? This has to do when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. How many souls we witness to and we actually won to Christ? Isn't that the Great Commission? Isn't that what this is, the, the most important gift is? Is actually taking somebody who's lost and leading them to Jesus. How many souls we've witnessed to and won for Christ? Proverbs 11:30 says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he that wins souls is wise. 1 Thessalonians 2 For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing are not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming for you are our glory and joy. What's he saying? All throughout eternity There's going to be this consciousness and awareness. That was that person over there that told me about Jesus. And that reward, Paul is saying here, aren't you our glory? Aren't you our joy? Because the Lord happened to use you as an instrument to bring somebody else to Jesus. And they're going to be mindful of that throughout all eternity. That's quite a reward. Daniel chapter 12 verse 3 says, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. And that's uh, the last chapter of Daniel. Let's begin to wrap this up this morning. I like to say for every New Testament teaching, we have an Old Testament picture. We just, on men's prayer on Saturday morning, we just finished Ruth, and we just started First Samuel yesterday. So let's go back to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth chapter two. This is a slice of life from the book of Judges. And of course, it's a love story about Boaz, the kinsman redeemer who's Jewish, who marries a Moabitess who's a Gentile, whose name is Ruth. Chapter two, verse 11 and 12, I believe is a picture of, of what the Bible study was about this morning. And he's talking to Ruth right now, and Boaz answered and said to her, it has been fully reported to me all that you have done. In other words, he's been keeping account of her works. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the the death of her husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know. That's a picture of the church when they get saved. They become a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. She was a Gentile, and she's marrying a Jew, Boaz. Verse 12, he says, The Lord repay your work with a full reward being given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come. The Bema seat judgment, this can be found in the words of Boaz, a foreshadowing of Christ, a foreshadowing of the church when he says, it has been fully shown to me all that thou hast done. The Lord recompense your work and a full reward be given to you under whose wings you've come to lodge. Now, the last scripture I'll quote is 1 Corinthians 15. 15 verse 58 to sum up, summarize our Bible study this morning. And it's really meant to be a word of encouragement. Stir it up, the gift that's there. Make sure you're using it because you're gonna to have to give an account of it someday. First Corinthians 15, 58. In the Bible study, we have a therefore. <laughs> Here's the therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? I added this to my notes after listening to Sam this morning and talking about the missionaries that wanted to kill the first people that came to Papua New Guinea. Dave Hunt was a good friend of Jim Elliot. Is everybody familiar with Jim Elliot on his first missionary trip? And uh, he was killed by um, the tribal people there. Dave Hunt was with them the night before he left at the Bible study. They came from the same church background. So I'll leave with a quote from Jim Elliot this morning. And um, I was going to mention it, Sam, to you earlier. But the quote is from Jim Elliot. It goes like this. He is no fool who will lose what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. Is that a keeper? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord we thank you for your word that reminds us of things that we know but we do need to be stirred up from time to time. So we thank you for the parable of the mina and um, the reality that we will have to give an account of those things that you've given us too. And so Lord stir us up and to help us be to do it with a motive um, that it's really you that's doing the work through us. And we give you all all the praise, Lord, and all the credit in Jesus' name. Amen. Just started 1 Samuel yesterday. So let's go back to the book of Ruth. Book of Ruth, chapter 2. This is a slice of life from the book of Judges. And of course, it's a love story about. Boaz the kinsman redeemer who's Jewish who marries a Moabitess who's a Gentile whose name is Ruth chapter 2 verse 11 and 12 I believe is a picture of what the Bible study was about this morning and he's talking to Ruth right now and Boaz answered and said to her It has been fully reported to me all that you have done. In other words, he's been keeping account of her works. All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the, the death of her husband and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth and have come to a people whom you did not know. That's a picture of the church when they get saved. They become a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. She was a Gentile, and she's marrying a Jew, Boaz. Verse 12, he says, The Lord repay your work with a full reward being given you by the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come. The Bema judgment, this can be found in the words of Boaz, a foreshadowing of Christ a foreshadowing of the church when he says, it has been fully shown to me all that thou hast done. The Lord recompense your work and a full reward be given to you under whose wings you've come to lodge. Now, the last scripture I'll quote is First Corinthians 15, verse 58, to summarize our Bible study this morning. And it's really meant to be a word of encouragement. Stir it up. The gift that's there. Make sure you're using it, because you're going to have to give an account of it someday. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. In the Bible study, we have a therefore. <laughs> Here's the therefore. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Amen? I added this to my notes after listening to Sam this morning and talking about the missionaries that wanted to kill the first people that came to Papua New Guinea. Dave Hunt was a good friend of Jim Elliot. Is everybody familiar with Jim Elliot on his first missionary trip? And uh, he was killed by um, the tribal people there. Dave Hunt was with them the night before he left at the Bible study. They came from the same church background. So I'll leave with a quote from Jim Elliott this morning. And um, I was going to mention it, Sam, to you earlier. But the quote is from Jim Elliot. It goes like this. He is no fool who will lose what he cannot gain to gain what he cannot lose. Is that a keeper? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, we thank you for your word that reminds us of things that we know, but we do need to be stirred up from time to time. So we thank you for the parable of the mina and um, the reality that we will have to give an account of those things that you've given us too. And so, Lord, stir us up and help us to do it with a motive um, that's really you. That's doing the work through us. And we give you all all the praise, Lord, and all the credit. In Jesus' name, amen.